Welcome back to another episode of Lost in the Catacombs. Your host, Josh, back with you again for the 20th installment of your favorite extreme metal podcast. You may have noticed something new at the top of the episode. That is because I commissioned the mighty VHS to conjure up a theme song for the podcast So, VHS, thank you so much. It turned out fantastic. Just to give you kind of a brief overview, I talked to Mike from VHS about this, and we decided to go in the direction of, you know, if you've seen the movie As Above, So Below, it's about getting lost in the catacombs of Paris, and I pitched that to him, and he just kind of went with it where he wanted to, and it turned out absolutely amazing. So, shout out to Mike from VHS for creating such an awesome theme song for the podcast. Hopefully everyone else enjoyed it. And yeah, let me know what you think. But as always, I appreciate everyone tuning in to another episode. Hard to believe 20 episodes in, but I would not keep this going if it wasn't for the tremendous amount of support that everyone has given me. So whether you are a first-time listener or you've listened to every episode, thanks so much. Before we go any further, as always, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. Want to remind everyone to follow me on the socials on Twitter, at Catacombs Media, on Instagram, at Lost Catacombs Media. Do a simple search on Facebook for Lost in the Catacombs and give us a like there. And also follow me on my Substack. It's free lostinthecatacombs.substack.com there you'll find album reviews interviews with international bands a bunch of cool stuff on there so go ahead and follow there also if you have any questions feel free to reach out 
at lost in the catacombs podcast at gmail.com. We are also supported by gurgling gore, the death metal gore grind grindcore label slash distro. Thank you to them for supporting the show. A lot of cool music on there featuring bands like Lipoma, Degraved, and Coffin Mulch. Some killer bands to check out. So head on over there. Use the code word LOST at checkout for 15% off your purchase. Thank you to Gurgling Gore for supporting the show. And again, I can't recommend checking out their merch enough. Also, if you do dig the show, be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you do listen so you get the episodes automatically whenever they drop. And if you do enjoy what you're listening to, the easiest way to support this podcast is by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. So if you do that, highly appreciated. And yeah, super cool if you choose to do so. But before we jump into today's interviews, let's go ahead and jump into our weekly news segment. First up in today's news, Imperial Triumphant has dropped a cover of Russia's Jacob's Ladder. So right out of the gate, we're getting into some weird news. According to Metal Injection, which the subheadline of the article is, It Gets Weird, which is very appropriate. It says, Imperial Triumphant is back with another cover, this time tackling the progressive rock mastery of Rush, much like Imperial Triumphant's covers of Radiohead's Paranoid Android and a Dizzy Gillespie tune. In the past, this Rush cover is way darker than the original. And there is a quote in here as well from the Imperial Triumphant bassist, Steve Blanco. Ascension towards a higher place through 12 ancient steps of Jacob's Ladder. Rush's influence is undoubtedly far and wide in so much heavy music. And although we consider our music quite different from theirs, a strong thread holds it all together. As big fans of their giant body of work, we wanted to include a song in our cover series to pay tribute to this great, unique band. We also wanted the cover image to reflect the legendary Permanent Waves artwork. So I did check this out, and I do dig this cover. Very cool, very dark, as the description says. But yeah, really dig this new Imperial Triumphant cover. I did dig the... Uh, Radiohead Paranoid Android cover as well when that came out just a couple months ago. So yeah, congrats to Imperial Triumphant and keep doing this man because I really am enjoying it. And in other news, it looks like Three Inches of Blood is going on a reunion tour next year. According to Metal Injection, it says that 2000's nostalgia is about to get way more insane in 2024 now that Three Inches of Blood appears to be teasing a reunion. It also mentions that there is no official statement or footage of any kind, but they did return to social media with a blacked out photo of themselves with the year 2024 under it. It also mentions that September 28th is the 20 year anniversary of their classic album Advance and Vanquish, which is pretty crazy. Um, The album does feature songs like Deadly Sinners and Destroy the Orcs. So yeah, this is bound to be a pretty big reunion tour once it is officially announced and tickets do go on sale. 
So yeah, this is some pretty cool news and again, yes, very nostalgic. And lastly, in some other weird news, and the only reason I'm saying this news is weird is because it doesn't really fit this festival bill, but Oliver Anthony, the man behind the current viral song, Richmond North of Richmond, is playing the Louder Than Life Festival, who is being headlined by bands like the Foo Fighters, Tool, Pantera, Queens of the Stone Age, Turnstile, Rancid, Limp Biscuit. Oliver Anthony is playing that festival, which pretty crazy news very unique very different and again i'm not saying that i'm not saying anything bad about the music i'm just saying it's a weird addition to a rock and metal festival but hey they must have a reason for doing it and he'll also be playing the blue ridge rock festival so yeah some pretty interesting news and again i don't know if i mentioned it but that was reported on by Lamgoat and i'm sure a bunch of other places but i did Read this one off at lambgoat.com. Always want a source where I get my news. But yeah, now that we have some news out of the way, let's go ahead and introduce the first of two guests on today's show. First up, we will be joined by Alex and Jamie from the extreme metal band Horrendous. Their new record, Ontological Mysterium, is out right now through Season of Mist. It was such a fun and great interview. This album is such a journey from start to finish. It is very unique, the sounds they are able to create. It transcends death metal. It transcends, I guess, any subgenre of extreme metal in particular. But yeah, man, just in a very 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 strong record and one of the best albums you will hear all year in my humble opinion but yeah if you haven't checked this one out already i do highly recommend it you know i had to throw that in there because my signature catchphrase but yeah let's go ahead and listen to a clip from the record and then dive into the interview This song is called The Death Knell Ringeth. to say right off the bat i feel like it has exceeded my expectations a little bit um 
it's always the kind of thing where I feel like we try to remain uh, not so presumptuous, you know, and I, I don't know what I expect fully, but I knew I was excited for the record. I knew people would like it, but I wasn't sure if people would hear it the same way that I, that, that, that as I do and would appreciate the things that I appreciate you know, cause everyone's ears are different. Everyone has different entryways into heavy music, whatever. Um, but I don't know. I've been a little bit sort of like giddy and shocked by some of the reviews and, you know, like I've heard, a, I've been having this experience of people saying things about the record that are things that I would want to say about the record. If I were a listener, you know, if I could write about it, you know, like ways that the record integrates with my feelings and my thoughts are ways that it seems to be integrating with other people. And that is a surprise sometimes like that's, that's like the, the dream, right? You hope that uh, you can conceive of something and then someone else will hear what you're hearing. And I feel like that's happened a little bit and that's really exciting for me, I think. And I do think compared to Idol, um, which like was acclaimed as well, generally, I think, but there were definitely like a cadre of people who didn't love Idol and like felt like we went like way off path or something. Um, I, so I think when that came out, we, there was a little, a little bit of disappointment in the response to some degree um, on our part. Whereas, yeah, this, this time I do agree that the majority has been overwhelmingly positive and, you know, people aren't just saying it's cool and it's good. They're saying it's like shocking in a, in a really good way. And, you know, making them think that this is like the album of the year or whatever, which is really cool to hear that off the bat. So five full lengths in, what have you guys learned along the way about yourselves as a band? Right. So when you, t- for example, you talked about, you know, the negative responses on Reddit or you seeing someone talk negatively about an album, like you mentioned Idol, for example, what have you learned about the band's mentality throughout the years? Do you keep each other grounded and pushing forward no matter what the response is? Or do you just automatically just kind of tune out any reception that you have, whether it be positive or negative? I know you said you like to hear the positive remarks, but in order to keep this thing moving forward, do you support each other and just kind of reminding each other that like, yeah, we have to tune this out and just do what we want to do as musicians? I think we would... We, we would like to completely tune it out, but at times need to remind each other a bit that, you know, cause sometimes someone will say something and it like strikes a bit of a nerve with one of us and the rest of us have to be like, it's all right. Like there's just one person, like don't listen to it, man. But for, for the most part, we do try to just not worry about it. And I think with time we worry about it less, honestly. Um, you know, if the reception to this wasn't as warm as it is, I think, we'd be okay still even you know it's nice that it is so warm but yeah i i my perception of this is that like all of us care a lot like we we i think we all have a intuitive understanding that music is like a communal thing right like it's meant to be listened to it's meant to be received by people we're make we're musicians and so we do conceive of what we do like as part of a continuum right so there's there's an amount of care that i think comes from just being like we're not we're, we're not sitting around being like we don't give a fuck about everything of course we of course we, we care a lot but i would say my perception of the band is that we've never allowed good or bad things to really like uh steer the, sh- the creative ship i think that like we're pretty inspired by each other we're excited to make music together enough where like 
like where there's an enough confidence in our uh, ability to make music together that that's kind of like the guiding light. Um, but like when the releases drop, like we're reading everything, like all of us are doing research to try to see how, how people are, are hearing things. Um, and I do think we take it into critical consideration. Like, I think for me personally, there, there were things that were said about idol, right. As an example that I was like, I don't know if I fully agree with the critique myself, or I, I might hear it slightly differently, but I see the validity of the point And I, I, maybe that's something to keep in mind for the future, you know, like not as a, again, not as a guy, but just being like, okay, like this is an experience that some people had listening back after years of it being around, I can he maybe start to hear some of those things as well. And like, yeah, it's almost like there's room to hear it. Uh, but, you know, we're also going to do what we feel like doing at the same time. Uh, and I don't, I don't think we're ever going to let the critiques stop us from, from doing that, you know? It's pretty stereotypical or cliche to ask where or how the band has evolved. But I'm curious as to you know, what things along the way were the most shocking about trying to develop as a band or what things kind of caught you off guard that you had to, I guess, maneuver your way through within the music industry? Was there anything that you didn't expect or was there anything that you were like, I never pictured myself in this position? I've never thought about this before. I would say, and I'm interested to hear Jamie's thoughts on this, I think a lot of the most difficult parts are actually like have nothing to do with the creative process. Um, I actually feel like the creative process in this band is like one of the easier parts of um, moving through the existence that is horrendous. Like that's where a lot of the joy is. That's where like a lot of like the work that we enjoy being like super deep in the trenches. Like even when that's at its hardest, I feel like it's compared to other bands I've been in or, creative situation I've been in by myself like it always feels like generative I never feel like defeated you know what I mean it, even if it's challenging I never feel like uh super negative about the create the creative process but you know being at this stage in the band where it's like okay there's a lot of records already like there's a catalog there are at me too like there's a lot of music there's music that happened before me right because I'm only on idle forward um there's also like a lot of logistic and bureaucratic things uh, that being in a band at this particular stage makes uh, a bit of a challenge. Like all of our lives are very complicated. Um, we live in different places. Uh, we have different lifestyles and careers, you know, like I'm back in college currently and like Matt's an English school teacher, Jay's an immunologist, Damien works for, a fitness company and is like has and lives in Virginia, you know, like there's a lot of things that can be hard to balance. Um, so there's that. And I would also say like, for me to being a band that plays this kind of like in what feels like a stylistic, um, I don't know, like a stylistic realm of its own. Like we don't have like an archetypical thing or an archetypical place that we can like easily settle into. Um, I feel like that can be difficult sometimes in terms of being like, what bands do we really want to be playing with? Uh, what bands do we feel like are thinking about things the same way we are? And it's not that playing with different bands and bands that are doing different things is great too. But like, you know, in terms of like trying to build a particular, uh, I don't know, like world with other people and thinking about touring and playing <clears> shows, I don't know. 
So those are just two things that come off the top of my head. You know, when we started, like, made the demo, it was literally just, we just wrote five songs, like, very quickly. Um, you know, they came together and we're like, all right, this is cool. We're a band now. And then it's like, oh, man, someone released a demo. We can release an album now. So let's write another, like, five or six songs real quick. So we did it. And, like, you know, they were a little bit better than, I would say, Ectasis is the point when we were like, all right, we should try to do something a little different here intentionally and try to expand our horizons a bit. Um, Cause I think that's kind of like people might not feel like it now, but like, I feel like that was an era when like kind of like worship bands were starting to become a thing more so. And like, we felt that and we're like, Oh crap. We like do not want to be considered one of these bands. Cause we don't feel like we are. So we're going to need to like, let's just be really cognizant of trying to do something that we feel like is ours. And that's interesting. I think Ectasis was the first time. And, you know, since then, I think kind of like Alex was saying, the evolution aspect of it, like creatively, creatively, I think is pretty easy for us at this point where we just, it just comes down to like a, an openness and willingness to try your ideas and let, let things that are weirder fly and just see what happens. And I think we've just gotten really good at that. And now at this point, you know, I, I think most people that listen to us in a serious way are pretty prepared for like, you know, something off the wall for every consecutive album to a degree. So I think we just kind of do it at this point. And we realize we might not fit in super well with some of our, you know, compatriot bands, but so be it. You mentioned like the worship bands kind of when, you know, uh, that second record was out, but when Sweet Blasphemies came out and I think it was what, 2009, around 2009 or so, that the late 2000s, that was the very, that was like the pinnacle of like the scene core, the metal core, the death core era, right? That was like the peak of that. So obviously you weren't trying to like fit into a certain, I guess, what was popular at the time. Right. When you right. did jump in and you saw that, like, like you said, you, you're not around, you kind of like separate yourself from your peers. Was it intimidating to jump into the heavy side of things when you knew that everything that was popular and all the attention was on this certain subgenre that you guys kind of weren't a part of? Was that intimidating or anything? We started in South Carolina and, you know, metalcore was a big was kind of the thing in heavy music, obviously, and, you know, variations on metalcore, basically. And, like, in South Carolina especially, like, there was nothing else. There was no heavy band that wasn't playing metalcore. Um, and, you know, not that there's a million bands in South Carolina, at least at the time, but, um, yeah, we we did feel, because we, we did play our early shows back in 2009, 2010 down there, and we always played with metalcore bands, and, like, I remember when we were just getting started, we had this practice space that other bands, you know, had spots nearby and they would kind of walk over and listen to us play. And they, I remember they were like, what, what the fuck are these guys doing? And like one guy ah. would jokingly come up and sing on the mic. This guy would like sing on the mic while we were playing for fun, but he was doing like the, like metal score screaming, which was like a really funny mix with our demo tracks. Um, but yeah. Like we getting playing shows there. Like there was no metal scene aside from metalcore that existed at all. And we just thought like, you know, Damien was super, super into the old school death metal stuff. Um, Matt and I were more like thrasher, classic metal type guys. And like, 
we kind of just put all that stuff together because that's what we wanted to do. And like, we didn't feel like the metalcore stuff was that cool anymore. So we just did our thing and like, eventually we got out of South Carolina, but for the first like, you know, multiple years, it, it was just us in a sea of, of people I, that weren't us. I basically. didn't know about this, like this metalcore guy on the, on the mic that I never heard that story before. That's wild. <laughs> it was very funny. So what, moment, yeah. what happened with that? So tell that story again. You said you were just playing a show. No, this one was like a, we were at a practice space, which is really just a big storage space facility. And like oh, okay. other band, tons of bands were there, and like if people kept the doors open, you would walk down and just say hi to other bands and stuff. But like this one guy would always come up and like sing over our demo songs as he wanted to, but it was just like you know the extreme metalcore vocal style oh my god is obviously a weird fit over that but he he did this like multiple times it, be, it became like a joke with holy us. shit and then you guys moved up to the philly area which was just pop punk there at the time right <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you went I from mean, metalcore to the pop punk plenty of plenty capital. of that philly's yeah. a little weird but philly has a mix of everything um yeah yeah there's a lot going on here but uh, yeah. yeah to me like i i sense that there's like a lot of like punk inflected metal here like i'm thinking of like i guess i'm thinking of zorn and like this band alien birth and like all these other i don't know like there's like heavy music that has like spider D- yeah spider diy even devil i mean devil master's not like big but you know like there's kind of like a still kind of that that yeah yeah the black mm-hmm. and so yeah. there's a lot of that like, i think you're right i would say that's into... too. it's like a, the punk metal is the big thing devil master's awesome man like I love that last record. What was it? I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, like a long I should name, know this. Sure. These are uh, these are all like friends of mine in, uh, <laughs> in this band. And well, they just got off tour with Lamp of Murmur over in Europe, which is uh, that's a pretty big deal. Lamp of Murmur is kind of huge right now, and they just were direct support for him, so that's awesome. But yeah, moving along to you know today, the new record, Ontological Mysterium. It's been five years, and I'm sure you've been asked this question numerous times this record cycle and during press, but five years since that last full length, why that long and what's been going on in the years? Without getting too personal, obviously, what's been going on in the the years since? Obviously, we went through a global pandemic, which is the big thing, but anything else in particular, why it took five years? Obviously, it's a very um, technical record, but uh, what's been going on the last five years in the horrendous camp? The pandemic was part of it. I mean, we didn't see Damien for like a year to a year and a half at all. Um, and that included like, we weren't like sending songs back and forth. We like just did not work on it with him at all um, for a very long period. But <clears throat> there are other factors too. I mean, after Idol, I think the band was like kind of tired out in a way. I feel like I feel like the Idol times in a way weren't great. Like we, making the album was really tough. Um we did some tours right before it that kind of killed a lot of people's um, excitement for the band in a way, at least temporarily. And I'm, I'm trying to speak generally here, but in general, it was like a like people weren't super, some people weren't, weren't super excited to jump right into it. So there was that factor. Um, and, you know, another factor is it just does take us forever to write an album. Um, you know, we probably started in we started in 2019 at some point and like actually started recording right before the pandemic and then got that got shut down again for like a year and a half um 
during that time, like Matt and I, because we live very close to each other, you know, during the actual lockdown, we would spend time together jamming on the songs because we, we had nothing else to do. We weren't going to work at the time. And just playing the songs as they stood and thinking like, is this, yeah, just like, is this really how we want the songs to be? Are we happy with them? We got to a point where we felt like a lot of change was necessary. So there was like almost like a second writing revision period as well, um, which was afforded by the pandemic, honestly. I think it changed our perspective on some stuff with the songs. And, um, you know, by the time that was all done and we got it all figured out, we recorded pretty pretty slowly, like over over weekends, like maybe once every month or two. Then it took Damien a year to mix the album also, which I, I can't speak to that exactly, but that is what happened. So all the stuff kind of rolled together um, to make it so long. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was also, I two years ago, I moved to Mid-State New York from Philadelphia to go back to college. Um, <laughs> So this is my first time living away from Philadelphia. You know, the three of us all used to be here. So you com you combine the pandemic separations with the fact that I left the state. I went through leaving Philadelphia and being far away from home for the first time and going back to school as an adult was extremely challenging. I recorded a lot of my bass parts remotely and then sent the stems to Damien to be brought to life and mixed properly into the record. So, you know, there was a lot of moving pieces to the creation of the album and I also feel like at the end of the day too, like we're not a band like in a rush to like force music out there into the world. Like everyone is pretty particular and a lot of these songs are getting like chiseled down like over extremely long periods of time, all the way down to the end of the recording process. So when you put all of those things together, you get five years. Also Damien, I guess did, he got married, bought a house, did all that stuff, which was like, Pretty big deals. Other huge chunks of time <laughs> where he's just like, I can't do anything for like this month because I'm like, I just got a house and I need to like fix it up. Just like lots of life stuff too. <laughs> so with Ontological Mysterium, I think I read somewhere where somebody was quoted as saying it's kind of like a love letter to 80s and 90s heavy music. Is that correct? Like, did I read that one correctly? Uh, honestly, it's funny you bring that up. That was, that is a fraction of a quote that Matt gave and like that quote has been like just that line of the quote has been pulled out by a million people to be like this yeah. just trying to write a love letter to the 80s and 90s which is like not really true well that's what i was gonna ask i was like it's not like uh, that's not the vibe <laughs> i get so i was gonna ask like if that yeah. was an accurate quote so the rest <laughs> of that quote was like he said something about like i view this album as almost like a janus head looking forward and back like back at that time but like charting forward on our own path yeah. um that's that that's kind of what the rest of the quote was saying everyone's been using this snippet it's like does it really sound to people like we're no, writing an 80s like, heavy metal album i mean that's, that's kind what, of ridiculous well yeah that was the second part of my question i was like i was like and the love like i mean it sounds like it's stranger things almost like you know what i mean it's, it's like it's it makes it sound like it's like a stranger Things soundtrack but i was gonna say like yeah there are those obviously i mentioned death earlier like you can tell there's the death influences in there and then you know, there's a lot of progressive stuff. You know, I think Voivod is something that I hear in there as well. But um, yeah, I think there's those classic elements. You can tell that, you know, in your DNA, there's the Iron Maidens, like I said, the Voivods, the the deaths of everything. But with this one in particular, it seems like, and you at the heart of it, horrendous probably is a death metal band is what you would classify it as. But I think this 
record in particular transcends into something more, right? I think to characterize this record, it I don't know, you kind of have to get into the weeds with it, right? I think it's such an experience from start to finish. And there are these different moments that, you know, you guys just know when to let things breathe and you know when to pull people back in and you know when to hit these moments of like, I guess, the climax of the album. But yeah, just the record overall just feels like this grand experience. And I was going to say that it kind of pigeonholes it to say it's a love letter to the 80s because it's so much more than that. And it's such a feels borderline cinematic in the way that it's constructed. So I guess my question to you is, do you feel like you guys are still a death metal band? And I know that might be a broad question, or do you feel like you've kind of went into this territory that you feel and earlier, kind of wrapping back into what you said earlier, you feel like you don't really fit in with your peers right now. Do you feel like you guys have kind of separated into this, genre by yourself almost where you're not afraid to do anything hmm. well just returning back to this the the question of this quote um i want to do hopefully do matt a favor and and try to like inject the the supplementary material that's kind of like what he was trying to get at which i think is like by saying a love letter to the 80s and 90s i think matt is saying like there is a particular experience that one has listening to like the highest moments of metal in those two periods that like is very special to all of us in the band. And we don't want to, we never have wanted to write a worship album or try to like, be like, okay, like a band that writes riffs in this style, we want to rip exactly that. We don't think about that stuff at all. We just sit in a room and play whatever comes up. There's no kind of like being like, here's a bunch of materials. Let's alchemize it into something uh, like there's, it's, it's much more weird than that. There's no real like, concrete direction so like you know though it's not a worship record there is kind of like a spirit that i think that all of us are trying to reach towards uh and i think i think that we're doing it with a sound that isn't anyone else's that doesn't sound like anyone i think it sounds like horrendous um so that's just to clarify where i think where that sort of like the the place that matt's words were coming from when he said those things um and yeah in terms of the death metal question um I, I think, I don't know who it was that has said this, but I feel like a lot of what we do has nothing to do with death metal, but it's all sort of like filtered through a death metal lens, you know? And I think that that's just a, a result of where the band has come from, where it's been, what's already been done, like the territory that's been charted. But yeah, I feel, I don't really necessarily feel like the death metal label is all that helpful all the time in describing what our music is. I don't think that progressive death metal is always all that helpful because of the variety of bands that fit under that label that sound couldn't sound more different than us. Um, but I know that these terms are helpful and that in, in some degree, like, of course, I'll always see the connection always. Uh, but I do think that there's something else. I do think that we, I feel really confident in saying that horrendous has a sound that is all its own and that doesn't mean that we are separated from the realm of our peers. I, th I don't think completely, but I do think that that means that there is something unaccounted for by the terminology. Uh, and I don't really know what to do about that personally, but um, I think it's something that we've all struggled with here and there is being like, do we feel like a death metal band? Do we feel like a progressive death metal band? Would we want to be associated with the other bands that are like, or like, you know, actively collaborating with the other bands that fit under those labels. We're not sure. 
and it, and it can it can be tricky sometimes. Yeah, it's hard. We were asked the other day in an interview, like the guy was like, "What do you call yourselves? Like progressive metal, death metal?" He's like, "What do you call it?" I was like, "I, I couldn't really answer the question." So it's like, I don't. It's hard to say. I, I don't. It does feel like just saying death metal is like not enough. It's not encompassing enough. And I think when I hear about a band being death metal, I'm picturing a certain, you know, either they probably sound like Cannibal Corpse ish or they sound like. Morbid Angel Morbid or Angel. something, and like, yeah. right, right, and I think that's 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 my usual like picture of, of like just a straight death metal band. I don't think we fit that well, and less so with time as we've kind of come along. Um, so it's a tough question. I don't, we don't have a good genre tag still. Um, and like like Al mentioned earlier, it's you know putting together shows and stuff is always weird. Cause we're like we want to play with bands, they're also doing weird shit, but it's hard to find them. So we end up just playing with like bands that are more honestly more typical death metal and stuff, which is fine too. But like, it it always feels like we're like a little bit different, and that's okay, I guess. All right, marketing idea. <laughs> yeah, listening, listening. No, no royalties for me. Just go with horrendous metal. <laughs> I guess just go wow. with horrendous metal, man. It it goes with you know, kind of in ties with. In ties with death metal, just go horrendous metal, and you guys can put this on the back of a shirt, just like bold white letters, horrendous metal. There you go. Yeah, Mark we haven't tossed around this idea. Like we've <laughs> we've sat around brainstorming about things, um, you know, and like uh, for some reason, I was thinking of a just bringing it back to the comment about paying attention to what people say about your record. Um, in the wake of thinking about what the hell we would call our own music, I was thinking about. One of my favorite comments I saw really early on was that someone said that listening to the record reminded them of hearing Judas Priest for the first time, which is like, which oh, is cool. a crazy thing to say, right? Because the music doesn't necessarily sound anything like Judas Priest, but like the person was just saying like the feelings that I got, like traveling through the adventure that is this record is like how I felt at the height of listening to Judas Priest for the first time. And it's like, how do you... How do you encapsulate that? In a, and we, we had like joked around at one point about like, you know, like trying to figure out the heavy metal portion, like in the death metal. So it was like heavy arena death metal or something, or like, you know, like some kind of tagline that we could, again, put on the back of a shirt, you know? <laughs> I saw someone <laughs> and they said this in a good way because they love the record. I can't remember where I saw it. It might've been on Instagram or Twitter in the comments of something. They were like, this reminds me of watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I said, oh my God. I was like, if somebody classified something I did as watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I would cry. Cry <laughs> happy tears. But yeah. That's wild. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can't remember what scene they said, but the part where they go back in time, maybe, they said that's what the record feels like wow. sonically, which is pretty, pretty hilarious. But uh, yeah, just... Obviously, there are so many cool moments on this record. Um, you know, Neon Leviathan is just a very much straight, aggressive track. And then you have Cult of Shadow. And then you have these, like, almost jazz fusion, atmospheric, you know, parts with Aurora Neoterica. What was it like striking this balance between these tracks that are heavier and then you have these tracks that are a little bit more a little bit more atmospheric in general what was it like trying to blend all of these songs together did you find that difficult or did it just kind of happen naturally throughout the writing process 
Uh, I, I mean, I'd say fairly naturally. I mean, I think we're big on trying to make records that you can listen to front to back and don't get old, honestly. Like, that's something we've always really, really tried to do. Um, you know, who cares how many songs we've written? It's like, we got to whittle this down to something that's an enjoyable ride from front to back where you're not tired at the end of like, oh, this, there's too many songs on this or something. Um, and I think, you know, we just, on the new one, we were really interested in dynamic balance too. Again, like the Aurora Neo Neoterica is like a very quiet, like chill um, song, right? Um, and I think we, I don't know, we, we had our, had our brains on this, on this concept of trying to have these highs and lows kind of coming on and off throughout the record. And on top of that, we, we did, we tried to give this rec, a lot of parts on this record, like a really nice, like jamming feel, almost like a live sound. Um, that's something we've been interested in. That's something that we do together all the time. We, we play just, you know, jam type stuff without any, any set riffs or anything all the time. when we're just practicing together for fun. We're like, why don't we make this more of our sound? Because, it is a huge part of us. Um, and I think a lot of those parts lend themselves to some of these like weirder, almost like interlude songs like Aurora Neoterica or um, Exogenesis, for example, is also a similar thing in my mind that kind of shifts the feel of the album very, very abruptly to, to something different. Yeah, I think um, something that I was thinking about listening to the record really recently is that, you know, there because we're a band that tends to, I think, pack a lot into small spaces. Like, I don't think that we're, we're not trying to throw things on the wall, but we are trying to like have every song have a bit of dynamism, you know, so that it's not flat all the way through and that it, it's going through its own kind of journey based on whatever the core idea is. And I think like that can be, when I think back to Idol, right? Like there are a couple of interlude-esque things on the record. There's the opening, which like doesn't necessarily help you come up or down because it's the beginning. And then there's Threnody later in the record that is kind of like this beautiful clean guitar arrangement that Matt wrote. And I, I feel like those are necessary when you're writing songs like we are, uh, just to like sort of give a place to, to land and then breathe and then re maybe reset or reconsider and then be led into the next step on the record. And I, I think at least this time around, because we were still dealing with so much material, Jamie was mentioning sort of like the whittling down process. You know, a lot of these songs started as these massive beasts that were even like much longer than they are on the record. And, and they get condensed. They don't necessarily get things completely cut off. They just get condensed into shorter songs. It's like, okay, there needs to be some dynamism so that people can move through this without getting overwhelmed, without feeling like, I'm just being lambasted from top to bottom. And I think in that way, like it makes it easy for us to explore some of these musical ideas that we're doing anyway in our free time uh, and then figure out where can we fit this in? Like where, where, what place on the record does this have? Um, and hopefully the, you know, like I hope that the hope for, from our, my perspective anyway, is like, not that it sounds like a random idea that we put on the record for the sake of it, but as kind of like, part and parcel of having like a complex listening experience that also makes like leaves you with energy left when you're done. Right. So it's not like I would much rather have a dynamic record 
that it isn't it doesn't overstay its welcome that at the end of it i'm sort of like wow like maybe i want to hear that again you know and i think that like exploring some of these further out ideas were like part of the picture of us trying to create something memorable that maybe you'll want to return to you know because it's not just the same thing all the way through it's not just the highest of highs all the time you know like i don't know if that makes sense at all you kind of hit on it a little bit and i think i mentioned this earlier like this album just kind of knows when to let things breathe and then when to pull you back in and that definitely contributes to in my opinion just from and this is me listening to records and listening to music if a record knows when to kind of let you drift off and then it knows when to pull you back in, I think that is the, you know, the key element in the listening experience. Right. And there's so many different, you know, like I said earlier, elements to this record, whether it be the, you know, the atmospheric bits. And then there's also those, you know, songs where it's just like pure shredding. Right. I think there's just these different elements of this record that, you have like you look forward to hearing this part again because it doesn't sound like that on the last song right so it's kind of like re-watching your favorite tv show in a way it's like watching an episode of the office where i binge watch that and i've seen each episode time and time again but each episode's kind of a different storyline or a dip in the turn in musical terms a different soundscape or a different, different atmosphere so you can continue returning to it and just because it's like everything just kind of sounds different but again it all ties together and I think that's kind of the vibe I get from this record. I've listened to it quite a few times at this point, and it's just like I look forward to some of these moments and just, like I said, just like those moments of aggression, and then there's those moments where you can just kind of lay back and you feel like you're just kind of floating through the cosmos, right? So, yeah, I think I think you guys really nailed it on the listenability and the repeat listens of this record for sure. Appreciate that, and I. I, I do think this is one of the big issues with death metals in particular. I think a lot of albums are just like, there's nothing dynamic about them at all. It's like 45 minutes of just getting pummeled in the same way. Every song with like very slightly different riffs. And like, I have a hard time listening to those albums. Sometimes I just, I just get bored. So I'm, we definitely are always trying to do something. That's the opposite of that. I think that's what makes cannibal corpse such a, I don't know. Like, I think the one word you could use to describe Cannibal Corpse is consistency, right? It's just those guys know how to right. put out a good riff. Like, they know how to, like, each song, I mean, obviously it's the same. There's the same formula, but they know how to switch things up just enough to where each song stands on its own. And that's why there's just not a bad Cannibal Corpse release, in my opinion, is because they're just the kings of being able to differentiate the riffs and the you know the elements within a death metal song and you know that's why they're the masters but you guys are doing it you guys are doing things a little bit different into you know where you know how to strike the right balance in terms of the atmospheric elements or the prog elements or the primitive death metal elements right so i think that's just key and that's something that a lot of bands don't figure out and you guys have found it five records in which is phenomenal and it's going to be cool to see where you guys go from here but one question i do have before i let you guys go because i know we're running out of time the last track on the record the death knell ringeth probably one of hmm, i don't want to say it but i think it might be my favorite track on the record such an epic closer did you know that that was going to be the closer of the record when you wrote it uh kind of yeah it it like very quickly had that feel. Um, 
And like once once the gears started turning with that song, <clears throat> I think we we decided very early on this this needs to be like a like a middle finger riding into the sunset kind of track. <laughs> and we definitely tried to keep going and construct the rest of the song that way and even lyrically to kind of do it that way like a leave you with this like hyper confidence of like we know what we're doing and we do it well we're going to keep doing it and fuck off kind of thing yeah i think that we went through speaking of album crafting uh and sort of like us all being very particular and very cautious we went through a lot of track lists before we settled on the final one and it was it remained pretty consistent that death Knell was going to be the last track throughout all of those variations um and yeah and i like i encourage you and and, and other listeners to like to take that song being the last song really seriously in terms of like the context of all the lyrical content, everything that happens musically on the record. And then like thinking about the choices that are made on that song down to like the weird bass and drum solo part that happens in the middle to the riding out on solos and kind of the brashness of the lyrics and the riffs there. Like I even have a guitar solo on the end of that song, which I, I I'm wondering when that will be, if people know about that or will notice that, um, you know, so it's yeah. like there's definitely some serious intention in that song being uh, the closer on the record. And with that, we we very much intentionally. I don't know whose idea it might have been mine, but I was like, we're ending this record with three guitar solos, one from each of those guys, like in a row, basically. And that's what we did. It's just like that's sick. Yeah. Putting it all on the line, <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah, that track is epic, man. And real quick. Where did you guys want to take this lyrically? Is it just kind of all over the place and pretty abstract? Um, it's hard to give a quick synopsis for the record. I, I mean, I think there are a number of different themes on it that kind of tie together. But to me, a lot of them, and again, some of these, particularly the ones that I wrote, are kind of about, in a way, transformation and like getting the courage to do that and to just see where where you're led kind of a thing. Um and I think the the last track, you know, fitting into that is kind of like taking this last step of confidence, being like, I did it. I don't need these naysayers, anyone that's going to hold me back. Uh, again, I know, I know what we're doing and like, I'm proud of it and I'm going to keep on doing it. was kind of how that, that song came together. Um, right. It's like almost the, the idea for it came from like, like a lot of punk bands have like very direct, like fuck you songs kind of a thing. And I like, I was like, it'd be cool to do something like that in a much more like careful way. It's like not about anyone in particular or anything, but just to be kind of like, you know, I don't need any of y'all kind of a thing. We're doing what we want to do and we, and we love it. Which, yeah, I just as a, to follow up, I think Jay said it perfectly. And I, I think we're all starting to gain more and more perspective on like what all of the lyrics mean and how they fit together. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's a lot of sort of like rising and trials and tribulations and questions being asked by the record. And those questions could all be directed to like a kind of a kind of abstract character, whether that's you or myself, right? Like listener or uh, an imagined imagined heroic characters within each song, however you want to view the you, I dynamic in the record. But for me, the last song, which is kind of like the most confident or like the most kind of brash on the record, like though that voice, whoever's speaking those words in that song, like that voice is only possible through 
the kind of like the transformations that are implied by the rest of the record, you know, and it's, and it all happen in different ways and I don't want to pigeonhole them and we could, you know, we could easily go through each song and talk about this, but that's kind of how I view it. Right. It's like, you have to travel through the trials and tribulations and sort of like the courageous rising that you're seeing on a lot of these tracks that happened before uh, to get to the kind of like the middle finger uh, confidence that comes off of from the last record. So, um, you know, I hope that that's what people gather some inspiration from that as they listen. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alex. Jamie, really appreciate it. The new record is absolutely phenomenal. I highly recommend anybody to check it out if they haven't already. Ontological Mysterium out right now through Season of Mist. One quick fire question yeah. before I let you guys go. Favorite horror movie? Uh, it's hard to say a favorite, but this popped into my head, so I'm going to say it. Phantasm, first one. Damn. It's a good one. Uh I'm just going to say, I, this, I know this is a cliche, I, I'm much less well-versed in horror movies than the rest of the band, um, but I watched Army of Darkness like five times a week when I was a teenager, so like, <laughs> I'll just say that that, that that movie lives pretty freely in my brain and will for the rest of my life. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much for sure, having us. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to that interview with the mighty, horrendous Alex and Jamie. Thank you so much for joining the show. Again, the new record, Ontological Mysterium, is out right now. But let's go ahead and jump into our second interview of the day with Josh, the man behind the one-man black metal project, Starer. His new record, Wind, Breeze, or Breath, is out right now. Before we jump into the interview, let's go ahead and listen to a clip from the record as always this song is called shaping just having done like i really had high hopes for my second album and um it didn't go poorly it just didn't like i guess like the difference between the first one and the second one wasn't what i was hoping it would be so with this one yeah it was it was totally a shock um i think the first thing that i saw that kind of let me know like oh maybe we got a hit here was um black metal promotions wanted to uh, to stream it and um you know i do a lot of other things and i've only had a few hits with him 
uh, over the years. And so that was like, okay. Um, and then the uh, Bandcamp editors, when I like pitched it, uh, they responded that they would put it on like new and notable. And so I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah. And the, that whole thing took me a while to even learn how to do that. You know, you've got to do it on the PC um, and you've got to do it with plenty of, you know, two months notice or something like that. So they have plenty of time to get through all the submissions. Uh, but when they chose to to accept it, I was like, oh, okay, you know, we're another step. And um, I don't know. It was just kind of the whole thing. Just, I kept waiting because I'm really like, I will send out as many promos as possible. And like Barry from FIA, like she's great with that. And so I kept expecting like surely uh, some reviews or something are going to start coming in. And it was just kind of a trickle. And then like all at once, like that week, just like the floodgates opened up. And it's like, I, maybe that was just, you know, the, the site's like strategy to, you know, wait until that specific day or that week or whatever. But yeah, it was, it kind of just like poured out that one week. And um, I don't know, I was shocked, man. You know, I'm probably older than you think. I've been doing this a really long time. And um, that's probably the, the biggest like hit I've had for an album, like right out of the top. Yeah, that's awesome, man. If you wouldn't mind, this is a pretty stereotypical question, but could you give people who are unfamiliar with Stare just kind of a brief overview of how this came together, when it came together, and I guess uh, maybe why it came together? Um, so I started doing uh, a band called Bahargam in 2018, and it was initially a solo thing, and I uh, put an album out in 2019, and a uh, band formed. And so then, you know, obviously I love doing the band, but then sort of like your solo vision is completely gone and um and that's the way it should be but uh we did our second album in uh, april of 2020 so it was like right in like the lockdown covid lockdown period so i started writing some stuff for what i thought would be the third album and uh it turned out to be the first stare album i think i mean the sound was clearly different because the early bahargam stuff was a little more like black thrash. I was very like immortal influenced with it. And I don't know if a listener would pick that up, but that's where I was at least coming from. Um, so with, when I started writing this stuff, it immediately had a different sound. And uh, then when I put the keyboard on it, it was like, okay, well, this is a completely different thing. And I didn't really know exactly what to do with it. And um, our drummer was like, I just throw it up on Bandcamp, give it a title, see what happens. And I've just never really been one to do that. Like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly and I'm going to promote the shit out of it. So I sent it to a couple buddies and then just, uh, I think it went to maybe Alex, uh, from Alex pool. And then he was like, maybe try Folkfanger. And so I sent it to him and he was on board and that's when I was like, okay, well shit, we got some life to this. And, um, it just kind of went from there. You know, I think initially when it started developing, I wanted to put more of like a, like a, post-rock kind of influence not even so much post-metal but just that you know that to me is where the atmosphere comes from right um and so i just started stockpiling stuff I'm, i tend to write like a ton all at once like by the time the first record was out most of the second one was done by the time the second one was out most of this one was done i've already got a lot of the next one done so it's kind of just staying in that movement to where now that this one kind of hit a little bit I don't feel so much pressure, I guess, starting totally from scratch. And um, and it, it, I think it just feels a little bit more natural as well, where I'm not trying to exceed something because when I started writing it, I didn't, there wasn't anything to exceed, you know? Um, so I guess that's kind of the story of Starer. It, the name, um, a lot of people say Starer and 
I don't know what people think it, it comes from, but it actually, it, it's a, it came from one of my dogs. Um, she goes out and just like stands around and stares at everything. And, and my wife kind of jokes about it, like, you know, calling her a stander. And like, I stand around a lot when I'm like on the phone or, you know, kind of pacing around and, um, stander was unfortunately already taken by a band. So I went with starer and it kind of has a, a good, just with star being in the word, you know, like the, the sort of cosmic thing that people have attached right. to it. And the album covers, each one of them just has someone staring, right? Just like off in uh, the distance. Well, the second one doesn't, but... Oh, the second one yeah, doesn't, okay. Yeah, that's kind of a theme, but the second one is actually, uh, it's like a... That's kind of a weird thing, you know? I, I, I think the whole project in general, I didn't want it to go uh, very traditional black metal. Like, you know, just the name, the font... Uh, the album titles, everything like that. And so the second album, the uh, cover is like a sunset. It's off, actually right. on, I took the picture on the ferry in uh, Malta going from one island to another. And um, just kind of where I was in life and, and writing that and everything, it just felt really, I mean, a lot of this stuff is introspective. And so I loved the cover. I was like, this will stand out. And some people were probably going to see it and be like, what the fuck is that? And that's exactly what happened. You know, like one of my favorite comments on that one was, Somebody had posted it to like what I'm listening to, like their uh, their five by five chart or whatever. And uh, a comment was, what's that sunset Peter Cetera looking shit? And I'm like, man, Peter Cetera. <laughs> like, so, I, you know, I've just tried the whole thing. I mean, yeah, the, the guy staring is a theme for sure. But uh, that one, um, I don't know. I think it does still kind of fit. Yeah, for sure. And I think. You know, you mentioned like the band name, like it almost looks kind of like a like a pop or an indie rock band, like just the stare, like the logo. Um, sure. Like, yeah. But I think you know, what's so cool about that, I think, I don't know. The first time I heard Def Heaven, who unfortunately got a bad rap in the beginning and still kind of do to this day for whatever reason with the shoegaze black metal twist. But when I first saw Sunbather, that album, I was like, what is that? I was just so like... <laughs> I was like, what is, there've been so many bands that just have like this logo or an album cover. And then the sound is just completely different. And I think that's, what's so cool about music is just like, it doesn't have to be blood, Satan skulls on the cover to like, I guess, portray what the sound is. I think there's just something a little bit more beautiful about something that kind of catches you off guard. Right. Obviously if you're on Bandcamp or you're on Spotify, whatever you see the metal category, but I don't know. I, I think when you get ready to sit down and you listen to a record or you listen to the cassette or whatever and you open it up and like the album art just puts you in this specific headspace or mood. And I think that was what's so cool about this Starer record is when I saw that album cover, I was just like, I felt like I was lost in the cosmos just or just outside watching the sunset. And I don't know. I think the music weirdly gives me that same vibe. Now, I guess my question to you is, when you're writing music, do you only write in certain headspaces or do you get in a certain headspace or are you just kind of one of those guys that just writes and it just kind of bleeds through, right? Or you don't have to put yourself in a certain position or a certain headspace. How do you write music? Um. I mean, I do a lot of different projects and I release a lot of stuff anonymously. And the main motivation with that is just kind of keeping things like separate, like separate identities. You know, I don't want somebody listening to something that's not black metal of mine thinking, oh, that's the black metal guy or whatever. 
Um, and so doing that, I think I'm just kind of always writing something and I'm kind of pulling from different genres and things like that. And not even really knowingly like, Oh, I'm going to add in a, this specific type of part. It's just sort of in there. And, um, so sometimes I will sit down and I'm like, okay, I need to write a Bahargam song. I haven't written one in a little bit and we got a new, you know, thing we're working on. And then the riffs will kind of steer over into this other direction. You know, if it's not like a busy enough kind of riff, it's more of like, you know, the atmosphere, big sound. Then I'm like, okay, well now accidentally I've got a stare thing going. So there is stuff like that that kind of happens where like accidentally one thing turns into another, but I don't really think I need to get into a headspace per se. Like, um, I do like to try and learn like specifically new genres. Like I did a little like eighties new wave kind of post punky thing a couple years ago. And so I just really went hard listening to that stuff. And, um, like my wife and I actually kind of have like an EDM thing that we do and I don't really listen to EDM, but it's like a fun thing. And so I tried to listen to some just to sort of like study how it works. And I obviously doesn't always work because somebody that does that type of stuff, like as their main thing, you know, they're going to smoke, whatever somebody like me tries to learn and just do, but it's still like, there is intention, I guess, with certain things, uh, with writing, but a lot of it, I think I kind of just, I've been doing this for so long. You just sort of have a, this specific, um, like set of tools that you always go back to. Like mm -hmm. I kind of refer to the way I write as like song building, I guess, instead of songwriting where I'll have all these ideas and I've kind of got like my BPMs here. What could maybe mix and match if I'm kind of running into a, a dead end on this one? Um, you know, and that's kind of, I guess, the brilliant thing about like solo projects that you're never going to play live is you can just like, well, fuck, that's almost physically impossible to play. I don't got to worry about it, you know, just laying it down. Um, that's probably a, a ramble answer to your question, but yeah, I don't really think there's a headspace really. You know, I, I don't find myself writing more on like a rainy day or, or anything like that. It's, um, I mean, I guess kind of depression is always a, a fuel, but, uh, that can also kind of be detrimental depending on how bad it is. But, um, right. yeah, I mean, I was, I was working on stuff earlier today, just kind of, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do another stare album probably until 25, even though I'm going to have it done probably before this year's over, but I'd like to do something next year, you know, maybe an EP or yeah. something. So I'm just kind of piling shit up, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's the way to do it, man. You might've touched on this a little bit on that last question, but how do you, how do you differentiate between what is a stare song and what's not? Um, that's actually a pretty good question. There's been some times when I really thought like, I don't know which one this is. Yeah, I've only got like a handful of black metal things that I do. And some of them I think are very specific. Um, but this one and maybe not so much the older Bahargam stuff, but the new stuff that people haven't heard yet. That's kind of been, we switched drummers last year. So it's, it's kind of been a transitional period where we, we should have had something out by now. Um, and so I think some of that stuff maybe kind of bleeds together a little bit just in terms of like mood. But um I don't know, man. I, I think it's it's really trying to capture a, a mood or a feeling more than anything. And depending on how I view that, like, I think one of my biggest strategies to writing something is taking like one or two ideas and just like really milking it. Like, so you're almost like creating like a theme. And so like, I think in my mind, if you were to listen to like, you know, one of the songs, I'm like, there's only two parts to that song. You know, a listener, I probably fooled them into thinking there's like 10. 
by just the way you start this whole building thing of like shifting the riffs around you know the bass is just droning now the bass is going to move stuff like that um again kind of a ramble answer but uh i don't know man i I think if i sit down and try too hard it doesn't happen i need to just kind of sit down i'm like this is where i'm at let's let's see where it goes you said that when you were creating Starer, you went to a few friends and sent them some of the songs and everything. What was that like putting something out there as a solo project? I know you said you have some anonymous projects and and some other stuff that you've done, but with this having your name on it and people knowing that, you know, Hey, this is Josh from Starer that put this new record out. Does that add to the nerves or the pressure or have you just kind of let all that go? I kind of just let it go. And I think that was a big reason why this one surprised me when it hit was every now and then I'll have something. And I think like, Oh man, I I really feel like I got something going here. And then if it doesn't really um, not like blow up, but just if it doesn't really hit, like I thought it would, then on the next one, like all those expectations are just totally gone. And it's not really like a negative thing. It's more just like um, uh, I can just throw it out there freely and, and I don't, I don't care, you know? And so when this one hit, it was like extra cool. Cause I, I just, like I said, no expectations at all. Um, but yeah, putting it out there solo, it, it was weird at first, but I think doing the first Bahargam album solo kind of got that out of my system where like when I saw some people, you know, shitting on the vocals or whatever, like I kind of like that because then it gives me specific things to work on and improve and I'm not going to get all salty about it, but um it, that one i think definitely um i don't know pop the cherry i guess of of me giving a shit about putting my solo stuff out there and then also you know doing the uh the anonymous stuff like who are they bitching about they don't even know who they're bitching about you know <laughs> um but with stare i guess i mean it it is very personal you know uh just content wise and kind of where it came from and especially like you know the name being inspired by one of my dogs and um, on my second album, there's a song on there that was actually inspired by another one of my dogs who was going through, um, like a two and a half year cancer battle. And, um, I just, in my head, it was like, as soon as I release the song, he's going to stop. And, you know, so I was like weird about releasing that song, but, uh, he made it about another seven months after that one came out. Um, but yeah, I guess if somebody really like started taking shots at this one, like for whatever reason they would do it, it would probably like sting a little bit, you know, where it's just so a part of me i guess but at the same time you know like i said i've been doing this for so long it kind of just i'm gonna keep doing it no matter what somebody says so shit on yeah. it if you want i don't i haven't seen anybody give this one to me <laughs> yet but um i want to ask this question before i forget because we were just talking a little bit about you know anonymity and metal and everything obviously there's a lot of great bands right now with anonymous members um, and stuff like that. Most notably, one of my personal favorites, Lamp of Murmur. What are your overall thoughts on how that contributes to the aura and the atmosphere and the aesthetic of perhaps, I guess, black metal specifically? And I guess, obviously, you are a fan of it because you kind of put out stuff anonymously. But just do you think that adds to the atmosphere of the artist and the albums? Oh, 100%. Uh, and that's actually a thing that I've talked with a few people about, like some of the labels that I work with. Um, the, some of the people that do know some of the other things that I do, it'll come up like, should I, you know, like kind of announce this and then a uh, perfect example. So one of my very good friends, uh, Ryan Klackner, uh, I play in primeval well with him and he does all the moonlight Cypress archetype stuff. And so he, 
he's known like that's all of his his things uh, but he's got like a persona um and it's not even like a put on persona you know it's who he is um but it's very much in fitting with the music he creates so i think he benefits from like when he puts something out it's like oh it's it's another one of ryan's things like people know what they're going to get um in a good way and i don't think i have that you know like i'm just a regular regular dude you know, wearing my animal rescue hat here and naming stuff after my dogs. So I think there is that angle of if I were to out myself, maybe I would do some damage to some of these projects. You know, we're like that. that, And it's all about that mystique you mentioned. You know, yeah. like somebody listens to it and they're like, they get to imagine this is an evil forest guy, you know, with his, <laughs> with his spikes in his paint or, you know, and some of the stuff I do is not even black metal. Um, you know, and so oh shit, that's not like a full band. That's one guy. And it's not just one guy. It's this fucking guy in Kentucky or whatever, you know, this guy yeah. that does all these other things. So I 100% believe that there is value in that. And, um, and, and, you know, you're not like really like fooling anybody, I guess. Like there's nothing malicious about it. You're just like, you don't have to know everything about me, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing with Lamp, you know, when he was doing some gigs and like was so hidden and protected, it's like, yeah, stop looking trying to figure out what his hand looks like you know and, and maybe recognize that hand or something um that's actually one thing that um folkfanger we we talked about that probably today where he was just like man you know everybody deserves privacy just because you're a musician like absolutely you know people don't have to have the right to try and figure out who you are like what's the point of that other than just getting clicks or something yeah I think the most impressive thing, I guess, about Lamp, and not that this is like pop music or it's like somebody in Hollywood, but as big as he's gotten within the black metal scene, I'm just surprised he's been able to remain anonymous this long. It's incredible. And like, so major kudos to him. And I absolutely hope that it remains that way for as long as that project's out because, man, I love that. Like, I love that stuff so much. I remember, and I said this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast when I was talking with someone else one of the first bands I got into was kiss when I was like a very little kid. And I remember just being like, Oh my God, these dudes are just like not from this earth. Like, and then obviously <laughs> I got old, I, I got older and I was like, you find out Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, what they look like without the makeup. They took the makeup off in the eighties, but man, that was just something that like, even to this day, for some reason, I'm still just so connected to, I don't know what, for lack of a better word, like, I guess the, the unknown maybe i guess but like for some reason i'm just so allured by all of that you know and it's funny it's it's very similar to like um like luchadors taking their masks off exactly yeah you know like there's a character there and um like nobody has the right to to out them for that and that was actually kind of a thing i went through at one point a little while back there was a website that I don't really know what they were doing and, and what they were using unless they were trying to track IPs from email addresses or something, but they were like trying to like attach my name to some things um, that I wasn't part of. Um, and maybe it's because I do snow wolf. And so I'll send out promo and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I had to like email them just like, what are you doing? Like, you can't put my name on this like anonymous thing. Like, Hey, not only that's not me, uh, but B like, that's kind of fucked up. You yeah. know, like I, I I'm going to assume most people at some point will want credit for their work. Maybe when they're done. Um, and yeah. that's totally my plan. One day I'm just going to get on like metal archives and just like unleash this, like the scrolls, you know, <laughs> and just like laugh it off. But that's my decision when that happens. Yeah, and I think that sure. should be lamps decision or, or whoever's decision. Yeah. Um, and it does because it's, it's not just, um, it's a privacy thing. It's, 
it's like you kind of have a brand, I guess. And that brand mm-hmm. has value. And that's 100% why I'm keeping my identity off of some of these things. Yeah. You mentioned Luchadors. I remember being a kid watching WCW and Rey Mysterio had his mask ripped off by uh, <laughs> Kevin Nash. And I was oh, like, yeah. And I was just like, man, I was like, this is like, it kind of ruined everything. But uh, yeah, obviously now like he's a middle-aged man wearing the mask and everything. But yeah, man, it's still that mystique is so, that mystique is so, I think it's what make, it's not that like, obviously like I love Lamps music and, you know, other bands that are, have anonymous members or whatever, but yeah, the mystique adds to the aura of it, especially in black metal, right? When it's very atmospheric and you want to detach from reality a little bit. And that's something that I found to be just so cool. I mean, it's like going to the movies, right? Like for some reason, I think sometimes people forget that in some ways this is entertainment, right? Um, in some ways, a little bit more personal than movies or whatever, but still it's like, I want to be able to get lost in things and I don't want to know, I don't want to know everything about every artist that I listen to. Obviously there's artists that I don't want to support for you know whatever reason, but I guess like I just would rather not know anything about the artists I listen to for the most part within reason. Obviously, like if they're great people or whatever, that's cool. But I don't know. I like to be able to detach sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's actually kind of part of uh, the fun I'm having, I think, is with, you know, I'm a very open book uh, with who I am and with Starer that hasn't really seemed to have a negative effect. But then I also get to play that other side of like, you know, here's Mr. Spooky guy or whatever, yeah. you know, that, that somebody can, I guess, detach with. And it, it's, it's very interesting to see how that, you know, how that whole thing unfolds, but um, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's like suspension of, uh, of disbelief, you know, like watching movies yeah. and things like that. Like, yeah, it's just part of the experience. Now going back a little bit, man, you grew up in the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest. I'm just a state over from you. Um, what was it like getting into heavy music for you? So um, I have an older brother, you know, I think um, that's probably anybody that's got an older brother is going to say that's, you know, who influenced them in the beginning. But we um, we went through like the glam metal because, you know, I was born in the early 80s and um, then we got into grunge and then that led into punk and metal and stuff like that. So I started playing my first metal band, I guess, in maybe 2002. And um, there was, a, to my knowledge, I mean, this was like kind of pre-MySpace even, I think. So there just wasn't, you didn't really know, you know, necessarily what was around you in a place like this. Um, so we would play with some bands we didn't fit with. And I only did that one for a little bit, but, you know, we did the corpse paint and shit like that. And then um, I toured in a band called Commander back in like 04 to 07. It was kind of a thrash band. And we kind of seen a little bit more of it during that because we were going to other states um, and doing runs. But we did play with a lot of bands we didn't fit with. That was kind of in this region, it's like, it's always a little bit behind, I think. Yeah, and so for sure. like, it wasn't like new metal, but it was like the, um, like, like the groove sort of new metal, the, the Lamb of God type stuff. And mm-hmm. obviously that's clearly not new metal, but you know what I mean? Like the camo short guy kind of stuff that wasn't yeah. death metal. And um, there was a lot of that. And so that band kind of didn't fit. And then when it split, I actually kind of got out of making heavy music for a pretty long time. Um, I, I had a project, it's kind of a solo thing, once again, called Chest Rockwell. It's a terrible name for it, but started it, you know, 20 years ago, and it was funny, and then it just, we should have changed it. But regardless, it it went to um, kind of like progressive, 
uh, rock and stuff like that. And then eventually it kind of went into sort of progressive metal ish. And um, then through that, I kind of got back into doing actual metal. And then by that point, it's like 2018. I'd been away from it for like 11 years. So it's, it's, different now it's a lot better you know there's there are actual other black metal bands in my vicinity um but it it kind of in a place like this you know it is like that little everybody's in the same circle you know like yeah two of the guys that i started bahargam with are the two guys from fornicus and then the drummer has left the band and he's doing this band sinistrum and they've got members with this band and then he's in blood Cur- you know and so like it's all a circle like um if you know obsidian shrine I mm-hmm. used to play with one of those guys in, in a wow. band a long time ago. And so everything, you know, in this area, it connects. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, we still don't get a lot of shows in like my town specifically, but when you do have one, uh, it, it's pretty big turnout because somebody's going to come from an hour away. Like, Oh shit. You know, I don't get this type of thing uh, in my area. So it's, it's weird. You know, it's, like I said, it's better than it was, but it's, you know, we're still in Kentucky and yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Your you options gloss, are limited. <laughs> did you gloss over the entire did you gloss over the entire metalcore era? I was not a metalcore guy. Yeah. yeah that, that was, was that was huge thing. here in the Midwest. Oh yeah, it was well that's the funny yeah. thing. So when uh, when I was playing with Commander, that split up in two thousand seven and the, one of the bands that we had toured with were kind of like a metalcore band and uh, they split up at the, around the same time and so they formed a new thing and I joined that band and I really I don't even know what the fuck the influences were. You know, they were talking about like the red cord and Norma Jean. And I'm like, man, I don't listen to any of this stuff. (laughs) I was just kind of along for the ride and, you know, to have fun playing with those guys. But yeah, I really did. Like metalcore was not my thing at all. Like looking back on it now, it is still never going to be my thing. And it's great for whoever likes it, but yeah. Yeah. I just remember being in high school. I'm a few years younger than you, but man, that was, that was huge here in the Midwest back in the day. There were a lot of, midwestern emo midwestern metalcore death and then deathcore comes along but yeah that was you probably glossed over a very (laughs) mundane and kind of watered down time i think part of um you know when i got out of playing in commander some of that was just the band broke up kind of you know it left a bad taste in my mouth in general and i had some offers to join some bands and i was like i just the shit we were playing with was just not the shit i was into and it was a lot of stuff kind of getting into that and to me, it was like, yeah, I don't want any part of this. Yeah, this isn't me. And that's kind of where I went into more of like the prog stuff. But yeah, I'm not bummed to have missed that <laughs> personally. <laughs> One question I do have, and a lot of people probably know this, but Panopticon and Austin is also from the Louisville, Kentucky area. And did he have, or that project have any influence on you kind of jumping back into the heavy side of things? I know you said 2018 is when you kind of got back into it, but I have to throw him out there just because that project is, you know, relatively big and it's something that has meant a lot to me as someone in the Midwest, but. Uh, well, to answer that, um, it didn't, but man, I can, I can blow your mind with something with Austin. I don't know if he'd want me to tell this story or not, but, um, but um, I think it was last year or the year before, uh, last year, he, uh, he bought a stereo record and, um, he sent me an email. So I emailed him back. Just like, are you really just gonna just casually email me? You know, like, obviously I know who you are. Um, but he was a fan. And so I thought that was awesome. And we emailed a couple times and then he mentions being a fan of, uh, primeval well, because you know, the same similar kind of sound. 
And so I mentioned like, Hey, I just joined that band um, last year. It was like a month before this. And he's like, Oh shit, put me in a, in a text uh, group with, with you and Ryan. And so one night we're texting and uh, it turns out Austin and I met in like maybe 2005 or something like what? that. Yeah. It was before he was doing Panopticon. He looked totally different. I looked totally different. I don't even know if I was doing commander or maybe I was, I worked at a record store and I guess this is the part that, um, he was just like, you know, I lived in Louisville. My family is in Bowling Green where I'm at. And he was like, maybe we know some of the same people. And he starts listing off people. And uh, his first wife was one of my high school ex-girlfriends. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. What a small so, world, man. Yeah. And so when we got to talking about that, we both were like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, but that's how I met him before. Because he was like, um, when he mentioned her, I was like, you know what, dude? I stayed friends with her. And she brought her first husband into the record store I worked at, and that would have been you. And we started like talking, and you know, describing what we looked like, and it's like, holy shit! Um, and so funny. Austin and I have, you know, we're not like super close, but we've become pretty good friends since then. Um, like the day after Christmas, we got together, and I played him this album, and he played me his album. His um, oh, the new one coming up? Yeah, it won't even be out. I think until maybe like November or something like that. Right. And I'm just kind of sitting there, like, man, how did this happen? You know, yeah, like a few years ago, crazy. I wasn't even involved in this shit. Um, but no, so, I mean, as far as what I do, um, no, just because the sound is so different. Right. You know, like, I don't think I really pull from my black metal influences so much. I mean, obviously, I love Emperor, but I don't think my stuff sounds anything like Emperor other than just it's black metal with a keyboard, you know. Um, but no, Austin, uh, yeah, he's a great dude. And I, I wish I could say I was influenced by that. But, you know, yeah, it's just, that's, that's his thing. Yeah, maybe not influenced, but I mean, maybe kind of like reawoken that spark that you had to get back into the extreme music. But um, yeah, obviously it's two totally different sounds, but man, I do love Panopticon too. But anyway, man, I do want to touch on uh, some of the new record a little bit more in depth. But, you know, from start to finish, it's just such a journey. And obviously, if you look at the album cover, it kind of puts you in that headspace, like I mentioned earlier. And I think, you know, my favorite song on the record is actually the second track crossing but one thing i did notice and i'm a sucker for this too is like all of the tracks are just one word yep was there a reason behind that yeah uh that's actually a really common thread of mine and i feel like that's probably going to be what gets me busted one day with like some of my like anonymous things it's not like necessarily the one word but like if you were to look at like patterns like that mm -hmm. you know like everything has like the second bahargam album every song starts with the um you know stuff like that so yeah that was very intentional and um you know they're all ending with ing like you know drifting crossing yeah, yeah so that was it was all very intentional um the album is not necessarily about um a specific like dream experience but um you know and maybe this is just a thing with with people that like put out a shitload of music or just a shitload of whatever it is that they do. Um, man, I just, I have the hardest like time sleeping. Uh, I don't sleep very much. And when it really starts to like multiple days in a row where I'm like three to four hours, um, I'll take a 15, 20 minute nap and have like the most intense lucid dreams. And that is the only time I have them. And it's, it's kind of cool because the more it happens, you know, you get better control of it. But um, at the same time, I, that's when my, like really my cue of like, fuck, I'm like really needing to get some sleep. And so this whole album was kind of just loosely inspired by that, you know, like drifting kind of like when you're 
falling asleep, crossing over into like that lucid realm, you know, stuff like you can kind of put it together yourself with the titles, but, you know, shaping kind of your lucid dreaming, you're starting to form your things, you know? Um, so yeah, all of it, it was kind of designed to tell a journey and there was actually a track that I cut. Um, and, um, I don't know. It was just, it felt like the journey was, it was where it needed to be. And that track did wasn't part of it. So it's, yeah, I think I probably spent as much time obsessing over those types of issues as I do the actual songs and writing them themselves of like, how do I make this a complete, you know, package of, um, experience, I guess, journey, like you said. Yeah. And and, and that's where the, the artwork comes into, into play, you know? Yeah. Is it difficult narrowing down the order of the track list? Um, order not so much with something like this because you know you've got your um like your outline i guess of this is where i want to start and this is where i want to end and this is kind of you know where the journey needs to go and then it just kind of becomes a work in progress like if something ends up working better with one song um you know you may have to sort of figure out how to tie that back in that was one thing i think that i i actually did really well with this one was when i pitched it to um Sophia, this this is album is kind of where I became friends with her and that label. Um, she made a comment like, "It seems like everything flows straight together, but still has its own like you could press stop after one song and feel like you got the complete thing." And um, I actually think I that was just kind of lucky, I guess, that I pulled that off the way I meant to. Um, and there's actually parts that like maybe sort of repeat later on in the album and you may not know it because they're not the, the context is different, I guess. Like, but in my mind, I'm like, fuck, I already used that part. Let me see if I can sneak that back. Like, uh, tracks, um, uh, how many, there's seven. So it would be four and five, literally track four ends on a part. And then track five starts with that same part, just slightly faster. So like when you're writing lyrics and everything, obviously you just kind of talked about how this is kind of like transcending over into like that lucid realm or whatever, but what is it like writing lyrics for this? Is it, does it come last? Do you have lyrical ideas while you're writing these, you know, sonic, you know, atmospheres? How do you conjure up these lyrics or is that kind of the last thing that comes into play? Um, I would say like finalizing them is for sure the last thing. Um, in terms of the songs, but it's kind of the whole thing sort of, it works in it, it work in progress, like at the same time, uh, you know, like the one th- thing that I do have is like, if I have like a part or whatever, like that melody will kind of automatically be there. And so then it just sort of means going back and filling in the blank. Like what, what, uh, what words, you know, maybe this is what I want to say, but is there a different way to say it to where it matches that melody and that rhythm and those number of syllables that I heard, um yeah i I, honestly man i I don't like writing lyrics a lot uh i think that's kind of the hardest part that's just never was my thing and that's kind of why i don't you know really publish them is i'm like yeah they're they're, they they serve their purpose people can pick out certain things and other things but it's also kind of the whole like identity thing you know like don't give them everything let them use their imagination a little bit like one of my favorite bands is uh cigaros you know they sing a lot of stuff in the made-up language and that's amazing and not even just that but just any any band that sings in their native language that is in English, I don't want to know what they're saying. You know, right. I, maybe I can translate the title and get an idea, but like, it's just, it's more about the mood and, and maybe you pick things up and, 
So that's kind of, you know, my yeah. approach with this. Somebody's always like, can we get lyrics? And I'm like, no, you can't, man. I'm taking that Gorgoroth <laughs> approach, you know, like figure it out or don't. Come up with your own conclusions. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Do you have a favorite moment on the record? Hmm. You know, everybody really responded well to the the clean vocal parts. And this was... I think I snuck a tiny piece in on the previous one at the very end, but it's like, it's so minor in like this 22 minute song that nobody seemed to really like, it didn't jump out at them. Um, but with this one, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to test the waters because some other stuff that I do, I, I do clean vocals in and, and um, seeing people respond to that was, was kind of wild. I think maybe one, one favorite moment that I have that nobody's talked about is um, the very, very end of the whole thing when you just hear the different vocal harmonies going. And part of what inspired me to do that was um, I put out a record in June with uh, Joe Caswell. He does like Olim and Burden of a Mirror, if you know any of those. He's a Canadian guy. We did an album by uh, the project's called Swamp Fiend. It was his idea to sort of do like a stoner metal mixed with like black metal. And he pitched it to me and um, I do the clean vocals on that. And I was like, well, if you're just kind of give me freedom, I would like to take um, almost like an Alice in Chains kind of approach where there's like not always two vocals going, but a lot, you know, and you don't know like if there was, if this was a band, who's lead guy, who's backup guy. And so really doing that right before doing this album, um, it got me in that headspace of like, do some cool harmonies. And so the very end of the, of the last song when it's fading out and you just hear the vocals kind of repeating that, I think maybe that's my favorite part. And I haven't seen anybody talk about that specifically other than just the clean vocals are there, but it was kind of a chance to like show off a different thing that I can do in this particular style, I guess. Yeah. I think I was going to mention this and I'm glad you just brought it up, but, and I say this all the time, especially with extreme music, I, I tie a lot of things into like movies and cinema and people are probably getting tired at this point if they listen to my podcast every week, but I always bring up, you know, how, Sometimes when I listen to records, I kind of break it up into, you know, acts. Like there's three acts in a movie. I kind of break it up into three acts with this. I know it's kind of hard to do that with seven tracks, but that final track and those moments you were talking about, it was just kind of like the credits were rolling, right? That's kind of like how I pictured it at the end. So I like that. my question to you is, and I've asked this question so many times, what is it like building tension and what is it like knowing to let things breathe on a record. Do you just have that natural feeling or is that something conscious that you're doing? Like, how do you know when to, you know, let it breathe to like, how should I phrase this? How do you know when to, I guess, push people away just to bring them back in? If that makes sense. Um, that's kind of tough. Like, I think on the one hand, like when you do it long enough, you sort of just develop those like natural abilities and you don't really think about it. And that doesn't, yeah, I don't mean that to sound kind of like you're, uh, you know, bragging, like it comes easy. It's nothing like that. It's just like, you know, eventually you just kind of know what you're doing and you know, you don't, it's not like you can think about it. Um, and this is kind of, I guess, a shitty answer to that, but I mean, that is kind of one thing I think I've, I've really have developed though is, and there's, there's tricks to it. Um, I mean, and I could, I could reveal some tricks. I'm sure people already know them, but you know, for me, one thing that, that I like to do is, um, so take that song in particular, when it starts out and you've got the, um, the riff, the bass is just playing one note. And then part of the way through the riff, the bass will then start playing the same 
sort of notes as the guitar. So you have like a drone and then when you let it move, it's almost like you don't notice it. You're like something changed. I felt something, but it wasn't anything like in your face. And uh, that's kind of one thing that I'll do a lot. And I think it kind of, and I learned that trick actually from Cigarose. If you listen to um, their album, it's the one with the brackets for the cover. The last track on that, I feel like I've been ripping this track off ever since I heard it, which is, you know, 20 some odd years ago. <laughs> um, so that track, you can divide it into like, I, I would say two halves. When the second half starts, they start this build. And, um, you know, it, it's he's got the vocals real spacey. The drums just kind of keep building. And it'll it'll eventually hit. And then it'll kind of go back down a little bit. And then when it hits a second time, it's different. And it took me a surprisingly long time to realize what the fuck is happening on that second hit where I'm just getting goosebumps. And what it is, is the bass never changed notes for like fucking minutes. He just played one note. So when it hit the first time, he still plays the note and everything else moves. And then when it hits the second time, suddenly the low wind is shifting with it and like that sort of dramatic effect. Like when I finally was like figured out that that's what was like really doing it for me. It just, it changed my whole fucking life, man. Like I was like, I'm going to do this in literally every song I ever write ever. And, um, you know, I, I can't say that that's in every single song, but that is a very, uh, common theme in almost everything I do. Um, so now that you know that, you know, maybe listen for it and it's not always used the same way, but that is a yeah. great way to create tension, you know, because if you have like a, if your whole riff is based on like say an A, so you got the bass on that A and then if your melody parts incorporate like, um, you know, uh, a B flat or an A flat or whatever, something that's like directly in tension with that and then whatever else happens, but you're kind of creating this just by the fact of you got that one note that's just never leaving. And that's the, I mean, it's kind of the key to drone music really. Um, but with this, you want to just use the drone as part of it. And um, I can't remember exactly. And I'm trying to replay that song, that particular last song in my head about when that happened. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's rampant on the album, man. It's, it's really rampant in just about everything I do. That might be the best answer I've ever been given for that question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really is. I, I have a specific instance where I was like, fuck, that's incredible. I'm stealing that forever. That's awesome, man. Again, I think the best way to describe the record is, and again, this is me just looking at things through the lens of someone who loves movies as well, but it's like one of those movies where you don't know until the very end when someone wakes up from the dream and that's kind of how it feels, right? It feels like you're watching this movie and then at the end, you know, when things kind of start to fade out and, you know, that part at the end that's very uh, gloomy or like melancholic and like you, you get the finality and it just kind of feels like that's the moment that the main character in the movie is waking up. And then you're like, oh, this entire movie was just a complete dream. So I really like I, that. Yeah, I think that's a it's a very beautiful record again. The new record, Wind, Breeze, or Breath, is out right now. I can't recommend this enough. But, you know, there have been so many things that we've talked about that I'm sure you're proud of with this record. But I always like to ask this question last. Looking back on the new Stare record, what are you most proud of? Um, You know, I guess just the fact of, uh, of how well it's connected with everybody. You know, um, a lot of times I think artists... Um, not even just musicians, but just in general, 
you know, we always like to say we do it for ourselves because we enjoy it and we got to get these feelings out or whatever. But, you know, anybody that says they don't enjoy watching it connect, like that, 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 that doesn't matter to them. I, I'm not going to say anybody that says that, you know, is a liar, but like there is something when you pour some of yourself out into something like nobody wants to just walk away and never look back to see if anybody gave a shit, you know? So with this one, and I think some of it also is just, like I said, it's, it's my age with how long I've been doing this and um, with different things. Um, just kind of finally seeing one, like one that I didn't think was going to do that, you know, that's maybe it. Like all the new people that have kind of come along. And uh, like I said, I'm kind of an open book. So um, there's no secrets. They're seeing, the person that made this project is this like animal rescue guy um, that does some of these other things. And, um, and they've accepted that, you know, it's not like I tried to hide who I was. And, and so the fact that it connected and it's black metal um, and I did, you know, the, the cover is not a traditional black metal album cover. Kind of like the one before where I'm like, let me just see if I can force people to, you know, accept something that's maybe not natural to them. And, um, so I think in, in that regard, the whole thing to me, the success of it feels like a really, um, I guess just that, that in general, something I'm proud of, you know, I, I could ramble about it, but, uh, just, you know, it's, it's meant a lot kind of seeing it connect and, um, knowing that the next one will have more eyes on it simply because of what this one did. It's awesome, uh, you know, and, and it took me, you know, putting out two, you know, to get to the third one and you're kind of like, eh. Uh, you know, the first two or whatever. And then this one's like, fuck, there it was. Well, historically, the third one's usually the one that really connects with everyone, right? Like throughout history, guess, yeah. kind of the third one's usually the one that connects the most. And then that kind of um, springboards everything else. But I do have one other thing, actually. Sure. Do you think you'll ever take this live? That's been a hot question uh, that I've had to deal with because of this. Um, I don't know. Um, I think... I wouldn't necessarily be opposed. Um, but one weird thing with um, solo stuff, and I don't know if this is just a me problem or an everybody problem. I imagine this is probably a most people problem. You know, I write this stuff and I record it and then I don't ever play it again. You know, <laughs> exactly. like, why, before, why, why would yeah. I sit here and rehearse this shit? You know, so it wouldn't be not only me relearning it, um, but then it would be teaching probably, I mean, another guitar, a keyboard, a bass, obviously a drummer that would be, difficult to find, you know, with some of this stuff. And, um, you know, maybe even an auxiliary guy for another, you know, guitar or whatever. Um, I don't know, you know, if the opportunity was there, I would hate to base it on anything like money. But at the same time, if I were going to ask other people to put in the work to learn this and learn it, rehearse it and do, where is this show located? It's not going to be here. You know, and maybe it's in New York or maybe it's in Europe somewhere, whatever. Um, I would have to make it worth their time. So there's a lot of factors that would go into that. And obviously even like conditioned vocally, you know, I do most of my vocal stuff like singing. I don't do this um, live in any setting. So I'd have to kind of condition myself to actually do that. It'd be a lot of factors. So I wouldn't be opposed. Um, And I think it would be more of an approach like, like Austin does with Panopticon where I would have to say like, this is my thing. Um, I don't want to say you're a hired gun and I'm not a tyrant. But like, you're not, no one is ever going to contribute creatively to it. Like, this is why mm-hmm. you're here. And that also feels kind of shitty to say, you know, I've never yeah. been in a position to do that. So I'd have to kind of get over that. But, you know, like I said, would I, 
if somebody said, yeah, like, hey, we got this opportunity, we'll make it worth everybody's time. I don't even want to walk away with a bunch of money. It's nothing like that. It's just, you know, there'd be other people that have to commit a lot of their time and, and energy to it. So short answer, um, I would. Um, long, uh, uh, But no, I'm not planning to, I guess. Gotcha. So just if anybody depend. out there hears, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a non-answer, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> How about that? For my millions of listeners listening right now, please make this happen. I, but, you uh... know, I would, do it. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would take my hat off and everything, you know. And I, we wouldn't do corpse paint. We'd have to. I wouldn't want to do the like the McGuire version with the hoods because that's kind of overdone now. But yeah, you'd have to do something. I wouldn't want to get up there and just look like dudes, you know. But it wouldn't yeah. feel appropriate to get up there with like the paint and everything. Yeah. So the whole, whole other angle to it, but yeah. We'll, we'll all get up there dressed like my dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Josh, thanks so much for doing this, man. Again, the new Stare record, Wind, Breeze, and Breath, is out right now. Beautiful record. I can't thank you enough for jumping on the show. Thanks so much again. Man, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. That was Josh from the one-man black metal project, Starer. His new record, Wind, Breeze, or Breath, is out right now. If you caught that at the end of the interview, no, you didn't, because I called it Wind, Breeze, and Breath, but it is called Wind, Breeze, or Breath. Again, a fantastic record, and go listen to that if you haven't already. As always, I do want to give my recommendation of the week and play a song from that band. And this week, the band is Wield and Woe from their new album, For the Good of the Realm. I will be playing the song Bless the Stone. This is a phenomenal track, a phenomenal record, and a phenomenal band. Very, very reminiscent of bands like Obsequiae. If you are a fan of them, you will love this. Um, If you're unfamiliar with Obsequia, you probably heard the Majesty's record earlier this year, which features some of the same members. So yeah, let's go ahead and dive into this song, and then we will wrap this episode up. This song, again, is called Bless the Stone.
That was Wield and Woe with Bless the Stone off their new record for the good of the realm. Pick that up wherever you listen to music and support that band. But I do think it's time to wrap things up now, my friends. want to remind everyone to follow me on the socials I gave you at the beginning of the episode and leave a five-star review if you dig the show and also subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you listen so you get the episodes right when they drop. But until next time, we'll see you right here in the catacombs.